Hello everyone, good morning. Good morning to you and welcome. Full apologies here. For the last two weeks, I've had engagements that I, that I had to be at and some things come up, so I do apologize. But we are back today and we are gonna begin where we left off. But not to worry, if you haven't been following along with us, do not worry. You can go on podcasts and catch up or um, I think it's I think it's on the uh, the face uh, the Facebook page for Family Church or this. You don't have to catch up. You could just start right where we are because you will. I'll explain it fully enough that you will know exactly what we're talking about and 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 you'll be able to catch on right where we are. Okay. Why don't we get started? Okay. Um, could, you, could that clock be put over there? There for me. Thanks. Thank you. Just come there. Thank you very much, okay. Wonderful, all right. Well, what we have finished talking about in the last many, many weeks um, is the Sermon on the Mount, with, which was in Matthew 4, five, uh, no, 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 sorry. Five, six, five, six and seven, I think. Five, six and seven, I'm, I'm pretty sure that. I have to go back and check that, it's just been so long. It definitely ends in chapter seven where Jesus finishes his wonderful and famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Everybody is blown away. Um, he, it was a rousing sermon. People hadn't heard anything like it before. And we're in Matthew chapter eight today. So I'm discussing the end of chapter seven. He just preached this, they'd never heard it before. It says that the, if there are some um, renditions of this that I've read that it says that when he finished speaking, the people applauded for him and they were like, just mind boggled at how amazing and with, with, um, with such authority, they said, they said, this is not like the normal sermons we hear from the scribes, not at all. This is filled with power. And um, basically it's the fact that he is God, Jesus is God. So God is giving us a sermon. Um, and Jesus came and lived everything he taught. And there's power in that. There's power when, when what you are saying and what, and your life lines up with that. And Jesus was no hypocrite by any means. As a matter of fact, he hits that hard on the head in his Sermon on the Mount about being a hypocrite and that we are not to be hypocrites and that we are to not do things to just please people, but the heart attitude. And, and he hits on that throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount. Is it so important, the heart attitude, that what we do and why we do it, fasting, praying, our good works, that it's not to be seen by men to get, oh, isn't she holy? Isn't he holy? Wow, look at them. What an amazing person. You know, God must really love them. No, that we are to do these acts as unto God, as if it's an audience of one, just for him to please him. And that is where we live our whole life out from, from the heart, that new, soft, beautiful, devoted to God heart that he has put inside of us with salvation. It's a free gift. Okay. Now, Jesus is finished with his Sermon on the Mount. And this chapter eight begins exactly when the Sermon on the Mount ends, it says that Jesus finished his sermon, he taught them, and then he comes down the mountain and everyone is following him. The multitudes are following him. Why? Because he's amazing. They'd not heard anyone like 
this before. They were in a time where um, their uh, religious leaders were not leading them very well at all. And they're hearing this guy and, and he's turned their heads. They're like, wow, this is a man I can follow. And they follow him. Actually, literally follow him down the mountain. Okay, I'm going to read. Um, uh, let me see. Okay. As we begin, Matthew. Okay. So we're beginning Matthew chapter 8. Jesus is coming down the mountain. The, the crowds are following him. And now Matthew is going to begin to tell us about the healings of Jesus. Okay, Jesus has just taught. He's just, just, just preach the word, if you will, the word, preaching the word, right? Because <laughs> he is the living word. And he is going, Matthew's going to tell us now about the healing ministry of Jesus. And he is going to begin by telling us about uh, four, well, three very specific healings. And then the fourth one is kind of a mul healing the multitudes. All right. He's going to deal with, uh, Jesus is going to cleanse a leper in uh, verses one through four of chapter eight. He's going to heal the servant of a Roman centurion in chapter in verses one through 13 of chapter eight. And he's going to heal Peter's mother-in-law in verses 14 through 17 of chapter eight. So we're going to talk about these three significant healings and even the, the fourth healing, which is, is the multitudes. So there's no specifics in that, but, um, it's still worth a, worth a mention, obviously. Okay, he cleanses a leper. Now, leprosy. We, we all have heard about leprosy in the Bible. Leprosy in the Bible is a disease that today, we know it as Hansen's disease, okay? But in the Old Testament, the instances of leprosy that were spoken of were not very specific. It may not have been what we know today as Hansen's disease where... Um, alone might not have been that alone what in the old testament they spoke of as leprosy could have been a variety of infectious skin diseases um they even spoke of leprosy as being like mold that got into material and um sort of an irreversible rot okay that got into things but mostly into the skin of people and in the old testament as well as in the new testament it was um uh, it was something that made you um, unclean under the law of Moses. And un when you were unclean, um, you had to stay away. You had to stay away from everyone because your uncleanness could cause, could spread. Uh, literally, as leprosy, but um, also uh, the, the, the sin of... of uh, disobeying the law and coming into a public place and doing things you shouldn't do when you were in an unclean state. And leprosy, when the priest said something was leprosy, it was unclean. Okay, so in the New Testament, the disease that was referred to was probably, most likely, what we today, as I said, um, speak of as leprosy, which is Hansen's disease, and it is now called Hansen's disease because... In 1873, Gerhard Henrik Armour Hansen described the leprosy bacillus, or bacteria. Um, he, he described it, he was able to discuss it, and so they named this disease after him. Imagine the, um, the honor. <laughs> 
and I'm sure in the scientific community that is an honor to get anything named after you. Okay, so leprosy today, I know we always say, oh yeah, yeah, there's a cure for it, but did you know that today it is still a problem in some countries in Africa, countries in Asia, and, and in Latin America? And even to this day, Hansen's disease, um, that like, uh, it does not kill you quickly. It can take up to 30 years to take a life. Eek. That is a long time to live with this kind of um, rot that overtakes your body. Um, and many have thought leprosy to be a disease of the skin, right? Because we see the results of it and we see someone's like nose is falling off, their fingers are falling off and, and they just look falling apart, right? But it is better classified as a disease of the nervous system because the leprosy bacterium attacks the nerves even though it begins in the skin, okay? So it starts in the skin, it doesn't, it doesn't start in the nervous system, the brain and the spinal cord. It doesn't start there, it starts in the skin. But it soon makes its way to the nervous system. And it is spread, even to this day, it is spread in the same way it was spread in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, is through multiple skin contacts, through, through touch, but also by droplets from the upper respiratory tract. So coughing, sneezing, speaking, and um, when you're spitting all over the place, you don't realize it. your water droplets are coming out of you. And if you have leprosy, it's getting everywhere, okay? It comes through nasal secretions as well, from person to person. So you could, you know, cough, spit, whatever. Um, and should that droplets get on other people, you are spreading the leprosy. Um, now, interesting about leprosy, because it affects the nervous system, um, and, and it takes a long time, in effect, to, to cause the rot, although the rot does happen. It can take up to 30 years. It can be less, of course. Um, but because it affects the nervous system, it causes you not to be able to feel. You lose the feeling in your body, in your extremities. And the largest number of, of uh, lepers' deformities develop because of the loss of pain and sensation, because of all that nerve damage. For instance, let's say you've just taken a pot off of a fire, okay? And this would have been in, in the Bible as well. You've just taken it out. Now, a person who's completely healthy and normal will use um, pot holders or something to hold that pot so that they do not ruin their hands. A leper may not know that that pot has been taken off the, there and they'll just go out and reach it. They don't feel it. And it's still, the, the heat and the fire damage, the heat damage is still happening. So because a leper can't feel, they are just being destroyed by everything that a person who has normal nerve endings would know to avoid, okay? Um, there is now a cure for Hansen's disease. And boy, I tell you, but the, the leprosy, when it sets in, it's not a quick cure. It's not, here's an antibiotic, you'll be fine in the morning. It can take up to two years to complete the whole course of what you need to take to cure Hansen's disease. But here's the thing, and this even makes the biblical accounts of Jesus healing lepers even, even just so much more beautiful, um, is that nowadays, even uh, though you might be able to cure the Hansen's disease, you cannot cure the damage or reverse the nerve damage 
that was done. What is done is done. What leprosy has eaten, it has eaten and has destroyed. Now, Jesus, when he would heal a leper, think about it. He's not just healing somebody's skin. He's healing their nervous system. He's bringing feeling back into nerves. We cannot even do that today, in this day, and in this age, in 2022, when we have all this science. Jesus could do that back in the times that he was walking the earth as in, in bodily form. Jesus was still able to do what we cannot do today. So sometimes we write it off or some, somebody will say, yeah, yeah, we got a cure for leprosy now. As if what Jesus did back then when there was no cure was, you know, not amazing and miraculous. Of course it was. But it is not, when you think about what Hansen's disease is and how it destroys and you see how Jesus restores, he not just restored the beautiful skin, he restored the nerve endings. It's just amazing. Um, okay, so biblical leprosy, just so you know, is carries a symbolism with it. It is a type and it is a shadow, um, a, a powerful symbol reminding us of sin's spread. It's like represents sin and how sin spreads and its horrible consequences. Like leprosy, sin starts out small, but it, then it can spread, leading to other sins and causing great, great damage to our relationship with God and with others, you know, and God, um, in inspiring the words of the, of the, um, writers of the Bible felt that this disease was a good depiction of sin, this leprosy. It's a contagious, debilitating disease. It corrupts its victim and it makes him or her essentially dead while alive. Oh, isn't that amazing? And that's what God chose to represent what sin is in the life of a human being, that we are essentially dead while still alive, how it is causing the rot and the debilitating destruction within a person's life, that old nature, that sin nature. It really helps us to better understand what Jesus' sacrifice did for us, that he cleansed us and he healed us from sin just like he cleansed and he heals the leper, okay? When we think about it in those terms, when we see the visual that God gave us to help us to understand the spiritual principle, it really does blow the mind the more you meditate upon it. Okay, so Jewish law and, and leprosy, um, well, didn't mix, did it? <laughs> Old, Testament, Old Testament leprosy, um, like I said, could have been much more than Hansen's disease. There would have been a variety of diseases that fit under this uh, term of leprosy. Um, it could include other imperfections, rashes, and according to Jewish law and customs, a person had to keep, a person with leprosy would have to keep at least six feet, that's two meters, from a leper. And I think um, there was even different laws for if it was a windy day, you had to stand like uh, even further, understandably, because it was airborne as well. Okay, um, so leprosy was such a scourge in ancient times because it was a disease that separated you from anything good. And because there was no cure, it separated you from anything good for the rest of your life till death. 
Uh, there was no more family life. If you were a husband or if you were a wife, no more. If you were a mother or if you were a father, no more um, interaction with your children, no more time spent with them, no more time spent with friends, no more socializing, no being in public places unless, unless you were, you know, at the right distance and unless you, you like covered your mouth like this and you cried out, unclean, unclean. So you had to like declare your filthiness. Um, there was no dignity because especially how it was viewed even on a religious scale. You were shunned. There was no dignity. You were shunned. Um, you were looked at like a sinner because of the uncleanness under the law. Um, and boy, I mean, you couldn't do anything about that. It's not even your fault if you got leprosy. It just shows you the harshness of the law. Um, and I think we're meant to see that. I think we're meant to see how harsh law can be. God is pointing out the, the huge difference between the harshness of the law and um, the beauty of the gift of grace. Uh, okay, so leprosy was a hopeless, joyless existence. There was no life. You existed. Again, a picture of sin and the sin nature. You exist, but there's no life there. There's no life and life abundant. Like Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. I've not come that you just exist so that you breathe and you're just, you know, conscious. God wants us to have life and life more abundantly in Jesus. And again, this, um, this so represents in such a beautiful way, a life, leprosy does, um, without the saving grace of Jesus. There is hopelessness, hopelessness, and just mere existence as opposed to life. Okay, so this leper, as soon as Jesus comes off the mountain, approaches Jesus. First thing he does is he falls to his knees. You see humility in this leper because he knows the state of himself. You know, it just brings to my mind that when someone comes to Jesus because they know they're a sinner, you know, I remember that moment in, in the scriptures when Peter says to Jesus, I think it's just after Jesus does the miracle of, the, of, of getting all those fish when Peter fished all night and caught nothing. And when, um, when Peter saw what Jesus could do and how amazing he was, he, and he said, oh, I'm such a sinful man, Jesus. You know, it's that moment when we come to Jesus and know who we are and know who he is. I'm a sinner you are Jesus, you are perfect, you are the savior, and you fall on your knees in humility and you say, I need you, Jesus. That's what's happening here with this leper. So he falls at Jesus, he, he falls before him, and he, it says he worships him. This, you know, and, and the word here for worship is a word that is only used um, in worshiping a God, in worshiping a deity. Uh, that's what the writer, Matthew, uses, uh, that word. That th this word worship is only used toward a god, a de deity. So this leper is recognizing the deity of Jesus. Okay. Then he says, the leper, if you are willing, you could make me clean. And, and what we glean from that statement that he made is he knew Jesus could. He had faith. He says, if you're willing, I know you can do this. He has faith. He, right there, we see the faith. He, it, there's no doubt in him that that. And the thing is, you don't. We don't hear of before this time any lepers being healed. We don't hear. This is the first leper 
being healed that we know of. And so there's no precedent for this. There's no reason why he should come to Jesus like, well, I heard you healed a leper in that other town over there, so I'm coming to you. This guy was like, I don't care if you've never healed a leper. I know you can heal me. I know you can make me clean if you are willing. He just didn't know if Jesus would. He said, if you're willing, I know you could. Then this is the beautiful part. This is the part that touches my heart every single time. It says, then Jesus put out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing, be cleansed. He touched him. That went against everything. That went against the law that went of, of Moses. That went against just human nature. We don't want to be near things that are going to make us sick. <sighs> you know what? This was probably the very first human contact that this man had had, depending on how long he'd had leprosy for. The, the very first human contact that he'd had in a very long, long time. And it was the hand of Jesus. You know, and Jesus could have healed this guy in so many ways. He could have just spoke the word, because we're going to see that in a minute. He could have, um, he could have, I don't know, just done anything. He could have done anything. He could have said to him like Naaman, go in the river and wash. You'll be clean. He could have said anything. Remember Naaman the leper in the Old Testament? He could have said it like he said to him. Just go wash. You'll be clean. Instead, he chose what this man needed most emotionally. This man needed human touch. And, and so he touched him emotionally and he touched him physically. God knows what we need. And sometimes what we need is even deeper than we know. So when we ask God to help us, let God help us his way. Okay, we can tell him what we need or what we want. I want to be healed, but you know what I need even deeper than that. If I need more than that, please give it to me. Okay, so verse four in chapter eight, Jesus wants to keep this quiet from the crowds, but he still wanted, um, cause, because he's not ready yet. Jesus is not ready yet at this point to reveal the fullness of who he is to just everybody, okay? So he says, like, keep this on the download. Don't tell it anyone. But he still wants the man to follow the correct protocol under the law. And he says, go to the priests, have them confirm that you have been made clean, make the proper sacrifices. But he still doesn't, he says, do not go out and tell everyone. Well, we know, bless him, but, you know, he disobeyed Jesus. It doesn't say that Jesus took his blessing away because of that and his healing. It doesn't say that. But we know from another account of this telling, it's not in the book of Matthew, but it is in the book of Mark in chapter 1, verses 44 through 45. This leper goes and tells everybody, okay? I mean, I'd like to say, oh, shame, shame on him. But I mean, honestly, this man's life was given back to him. He, he couldn't help it. He just, he should have obeyed. He should have. I know he should have. But I do understand his excitement um, and uh, how he wanted to just say, this man gave me my life back, you know. So anyway, that's how the narrative goes there. So the man was super, super excited. And Jesus healed this leper. It was amazing. Okay, so the next account is we see in verse 5. The centurion's servant is here healed. Okay, so verse 5, Jesus is approached by a centurion soldier. Okay, so we know straight away, this is verses five and six of chapter eight. We know straight away, this is a Roman, okay? Not a friend of the Jews, the Romans. They were kind of lording it over the Jews and they really owned the land at that point, you know, 
legally they were in control and if you were Jewish, you were just second class citizen. So he was a Roman and a soldier and a Gentile, okay? So he had a lot not going for him um, in, uh, in the eyes of Jesus, what, so he thought because Jesus was Jewish. So he approached Jesus, right? And he comes and it says that he was begging um, for his servant who was at home for Jesus to heal him. He was begging. Uh, let's look at that. Da, 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 da. All right. Um, okay, we're in verse five. It says that the, that the centurion was pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and I will heal him. Okay. So... Um, the centurion is coming to someone, Jesus, who in the way things were historically then and in his day and age, Jesus was socially inferior to him. Um, but he knew there was something special about Jesus. Obviously, the fame of Jesus was getting out there that he heals, um, that he does miracles. Uh, so this man is asking for his servant to be healed, which is another unusual thing about this centurion. Because... Um, a sick servant who's dying in your home, a servant was property. You didn't really have a good relationship with your servant. It would be like having a good relationship with your vacuum cleaner back then. Servant was, you know, disposable and you could have them killed. You know, they were just a, they were just a drain on your household, really taking space up, taking um, energy out of your household, you know, with people um, trying to help the servant. And um, a drain on your own finances because you have to feed this person who's not doing a thing for you. But this man is different. This centurion is saying, I want my servant healed, begging, pleading. Okay, this is such an interesting thing here. I did not know this or I had not really taken note of this. That whenever the New Testament mentions a centurion and there are at least seven instances... It always presents them as honorable and good men. Isn't that amazing? Because they would have been the enemy to the Jews. I just thought that was a super interesting point. Hmm. Okay. So here's what happens. Um, the centurion's understanding, we're going to see in a moment, of Jesus' authority amazes Jesus. So this centurion has a deep understanding that Jesus has authority, authority to heal. Let's look at that. Verses seven through nine. And Jesus says to the centurion, okay, because he just begged, come at my home, my servant is sick, he's dying, can you heal him? And Jesus says, I will come and I will heal him. So Jesus gets himself up, he's just getting ready to go on the journey to the centurion's house. When? The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, meaning I know you're a man under authority, Jesus, and I too am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Um, okay, and, and verse 10, listen to this. When Jesus heard it, this, this little 
speech that the centurion just gave. It says that Jesus marveled and said to those who followed, assuredly, I say to you, now he is blowing away the son of God. Okay, Jesus. Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Wow. So the centurion's understanding of authority and his faith makes Jesus marvel. Imagine causing this reaction in Jesus. Jesus is God with us. And he said um, that, that this man, this centurion, had the greatest faith that he had ever found anywhere, even in Israel. He was blown away by that. Okay. Um, so, wow. You know, he made the son of God, God with us. Just like stop and, and be like, wow. He gave Jesus a wow moment, which makes me think, wow. <laughs> you know? Okay. Uh, all right. Now verses. Um, uh, da, da, da. Okay, wait a minute here. Wait a minute. Okay. So first of all, this guy said, I'm not worthy. Don't You can't come to my house. I'm not worthy. The centurion is recognizing Jesus' greatness. Okay. He's saying, first of all, he calls him Lord. He's recognizing Jesus' greatness and even looks at him, his own self and says, I'm not worthy. Okay. You're a great rabbi. Um, you, you know, you are wonderful. And, and you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not worthy. Um, he didn't expect that Jesus would want to come to his house because so, or, you know, I'm sure he didn't expect that. Um, and, and you know what? I believe that the centurion, this guy's like a really nice guy. I believe he didn't want to make it hard for Jesus, make it socially awkward for Jesus to come to a centurion's house because Jews did not go to the house of a Gentile, much less a Gentile sol soldier. Okay. He didn't want to make it all awkward for Jesus. Okay, so he understood also when he says, only speak the word and my servant will be healed. He, he shows that he has an understanding of Jesus' authority and he knew that it was not just some kind of magic. You know, people were very superstitious in that day. Romans were superstitious people. Um, and he knew, this guy knew, this is not magic. This is coming from authority. This guy is, is doing the works of God. He's the mouthpiece, the hands of God. This is not magic. The centurion likened Jesus' authority to what he could understand. He said, listen, he says, I'm, I'm just like you, Jesus, in this sense that when my emperor tells me what to do, I do it. You know, I, I, I then tell others. And what I say is actually the word of my emperor. And when my servant disobeys. It's not me they're disobeying. It's the emperor because my word is the emperor's word. And this centurion got it. He understood that, that the words of Jesus, that he was about the business of his father. And, and this centurion got it. And Jesus was like, whoa, somebody gets this. Okay. Okay. Verses 10 through 13. Um, we did that already. That was where he just marveled. Woo you know wow this guy i'm marveling at this this is marvelous okay this i love you know I, for me i i love this because it's a little little peek into heaven that jesus gives us right now verses 11 through 12 
So he's just blown away by what he just heard from a Gentile who puts his trust in Jesus and has an understanding of Jesus' authority. Jesus wanted people to understand this. He would have loved for the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious people of that day to understand who he was and where his authority was coming from. He wanted the people to have that, but this Gentile did. The, the religious people didn't, the Gentile did. And then Jesus makes this statement in verses 11 through 12. Um, so he's just said, I've not found such great faith even in all of Israel. And then he says, verses 11 and 12, and I say to you that many will come from the east and the west. And this is a picture, a little, a little picture into heaven, a little window. Many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oh, what is this all about, right? He's speaking about heaven. He's saying there's going to be Gentiles in heaven. Um, and this is something that Jews did not believe because they thought the Gentiles were dogs, you know, and that they were the chosen, the chosen ones by God. Yes, they were the chosen ones by God. But Jesus is saying anyone who believes on the name of Jesus shall be saved and there will be Gentiles in heaven. Um, also, he speaks of heaven here as a place of rest well, that will be sitting down in heaven. And he speaks of it as an actual place. Uh, he's, he speaks of it as a place of good company to sit with. He's saying we're going to sit down with, with the people of faith from the scriptures and enjoy friendships with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in heaven. We're all going to be sitting around. It's going to be uh, fellowshipping and it's going to be um, wonderful and relaxing and notice that we are going to know who the people are. You're going to know that's Abraham. You're going to say, hey, that's Elijah over there. Oh my goodness, that's Jonah. Oh my goodness, Adam and Eve. Let me go have a word with them. <laughs> you are, you, we are going to know them. You are going to know your relatives who've gone to heaven. You are going to know your children who may have gone on to heaven. Your spouse, you're going to know it's them in heaven. We're not ghosty figures in heaven, according to what Jesus says, but we are recognizable. We recognize each other. He says in, this, in these passages here that it is a place with many people. It's filled with people who knew Jesus, who know Jesus, God followers. Um, and Jesus said that many will come into heaven. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. It's a place with people from all over the earth. From the east and the west, he says, and they will come to heaven. I love this is a few, a couple of passages that gives us so much insight. It is a certain place, an actual place. It's not some metaphorical idea. Jesus speaks of it as an actual place that many will come. And Jesus says it will happen. It will happen. That's what Jesus says. And he's telling the Jews that not just because they're the chosen people, he calls them the sons of the kingdom, that, that that's an automatic get into heaven card. He's saying, no, just because you are one of the chosen, one of the sons of the kingdom, that's not an automatic for you to get into heaven. He's saying that Jesus is the way to heaven, the way to God. And if you don't want Jesus, then you don't get in. Those who reject 
even if they are of the chosen people of God, even if they are of the race of the Jews, it doesn't matter, Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you reject me, no matter what race you are, no matter where you are, even if you are a son of the kingdom, that you will be cast out into outer darkness. What is outer darkness? He is referring to hell here. And he says that there will be, he says it here. Where is it? Verse 12, is it? He says that in this place of outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What does that mean? It means suffering and despair forevermore. And you know what? Jesus was unafraid to speak of hell. So many people today are afraid to speak about hell. They're actually afraid to speak of heaven as well, but they are afraid to speak of hell because they feel they won't be liked. They'll be uh, dubbed a person of hate, a hate speech. You know, you giving hate speech. But Jesus wasn't afraid to speak of hell. And he, he did so. He spoke about hell more than any other biblical person. Any other person in the Bible. Jesus spoke more about hell than any of them. And he, and he didn't speak of it ever as a metaphor, a metaphorical, not real place, but as an actual place, as he did speak of heaven in the same way. They are actual places. These two little windows, scriptures are windows into Jesus talking about heaven. I think that is priceless. I think that is absolutely mind-blowing and wonderful. And I think it is an encouragement to believers to know it is an actual place that we are going to be with Jesus and to be with the body of believers who have gone on before us. I just think that's wonderful. But also he does speak of hell and those who reject Jesus will be cast into outer darkness. It is an actual place. It is not a metaphor from the mouth of Jesus. I can't prettify that. It is what it is. We need Jesus. Okay, next healing, Peter's mother-in-law. So what does this tell us? P Peter's mother-in-law gets healed. Uh, and where is this? Peter's mother-in-law, come on, where are you? This, this is verses 14 and 15. So Peter was married. That's what this tells us. You know, there are some Christian religions that try to say that um, Peter was not married because they, uh, the Catholic religion believes Peter was the first pope, if you are of Catholic belief, um, and that uh, the pope could never be married. Peter was married, okay? He was married. Anyway, she had a fever. Jesus walks into how, to the house, sees she has a fever. Okay, it's not as bad as leprosy. It doesn't say that she has a life-threatening illness. You can have a fever. I had a fever couple months back for a few days. It was COVID. It was not leprosy. Um, she probably had a viral thing. Who knows? But it wasn't as life-threatening as leprosy. Jesus touched her and healed her. You see, Jesus cares for all of our situations, big and small. There's nothing too small. There's nothing too big. Jesus can deal with anything that afflicts us. You know, physical, mental, um, an ache, a pain, a grief, a sadness, you know, none of it's, none of it's too big or too small. If, if we care, he cares. If it is a thing of our concern, he is concerned. He loves us. 
She's very compassionate. Okay. After she gets healed, because she gets healed, she arose immediately and began serving. And what a beautiful response to a life that has been touched by Jesus. Our lives are touched by him. And what, what should our response be? Jesus, my life is yours. I want to serve. I want to serve you and I want to serve the people that you love. All right. Now we come to a healing where he's healing many. Okay, this is important, this one. Even though it's not specific, as in he healed this particular person, it says, when evening had come, this had been a very busy day, if it all happened in one day, that is. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who, who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Oh, right. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Matthew goes back to the book of Isaiah, to the prophetic word that was given there, that I just read, that he took, he himself, meaning the, um, the, the Messiah, he himself, the Messiah, took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. We know Jesus to be that Messiah. And we see this happening here in part because he hadn't died on the cross yet where he took all of our um, sins yet. But he took our infirmities and he bore our sicknesses. And Matthew is referring to it here as for, for the physical healings. Because there are some people that will try to tell us this today and, and it, you just cannot say that this is true, that it is purely about spiritual healing. God is making our sins, healing us of our sinful state so that we are right with God. And that is purely what this is about. This has nothing to do with our physical healing. You cannot say that because Matthew makes it extremely clear right here that this also includes physical healing of the body. Okay. Um, Matthew rightly understood this as a partial fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 53, because that's where that's from. Go ahead and read it, Isaiah 53, if you want to read more about the, the prophecy of what the Messiah will accomplish. Um, and yes, it does refer to spiritual healing. Absolutely, 100. And to me, that is the more important, and it should be to you as well. But it also definitely includes physical healing. And in this, Matthew is showing Jesus as the true Messiah. He's pointing out to the Jewish popu population who would know Isaiah 53, saying he is the one that, it has, that the prophet Isaiah spoke of. That look, look, the healings that are happening. It was, it was prophesied in Isaiah. Look, look, it's got to be him. No one else came doing this. Delivering people from the bondage of sin and effects of a fallen world. Watch, look. Look, see him do it. Okay. So he's pointing that out to the Jewish people. Um, and, and from all of these healings, notice this. He's healed a Jew, a Gentile, a woman, and now multitudes. All very different people. Jesus is a healer. He is God. All right. He's showing us his deity here. He's showing us that he is God. Who's the healer? God is the healer, okay? Um, and, and Jesus is showing, I heal. I am God. Come in the flesh, okay? 
All right, so with with Matthew having point out pointed out that it is both a spiritual healing and he provides physical healing as well, what does that tell us? It tells us that when we are sick or those we love or our friends are sick, we can see in scripture that we can we can ask God for healing. We can come to him. We can approach him and ask him for healing. And we can also come to him and say, heal me of my sinful state. Jesus, I'm a sinner. Heal me. I want to be made right with you. Forgive all of my sins. Jesus, what's that sacrifice that washed away? Didn't just cover. He washed away all of our sins and gave us a new nature. And that is pointed out here in the book of Matthew, pointing toward Isaiah's prophecy. Okay. Um, So Jesus is the healer of both the spirit and the body all right so we can come to him and we can pray and believe for healing i just want to touch on this quickly because some people will say well how come when we pray we aren't always 100 percent healed i've prayed for people and they've not gotten better and they have died what i am going to say is this jesus is the healer i will pray for every sick person that someone comes to me and, and says i want healing jesus um in the um in the bible we are are told to bring the sick to the elders in the church have them anointed with oil to pray the prayer of this for the sick right so we are encouraged to bring the sick to jesus okay i know some people are going to say but so and so died when when even though i prayed even though they seem to have faith let me just point out something right here in the beginning, in the fall, God told Adam and Eve, do not disobey me. Please do not eat the fruit of that tree over there of the knowledge of good and evil. They did it. In that day that they disobeyed God, God said, in that day you will surely die. Did they die the minute that they, they did wrong and disobeyed? No, they didn't immediately die. But death and sin entered into the world. God saw the world that we live in now with its sin and its brokenness and its the pain and the suffering. You just have to walk out your front door to see it, but definitely on the news. Even for two seconds, you can see that this is God foresaw this day and he saw that the world would be sick and full of sin. He didn't want that. But you see, we live in a broken world. We live in a sin sick world that has brought death and diseases and everything that's come into the world today. We did it. We broke it. Okay, when someone doesn't get healed, I'll just say, I don't know why 100% of all the times why people don't get healed. Maybe there are reasons in someone's life that are evident, but oftentimes there are not. Many people that we have prayed for have, have died. But I'll point out this as well. Okay, we look at Psalm 23, that beloved Psalm, which says the Lord is my shepherd, right? And in that we acknowledge that the Lord's our shepherd. He takes care of us. He leads us. He restores us. He's with us in dark times. He comforts us and consoles us when we are grieving. His goodness, his mercy, it follows us all the days of our life. And how does that Psalm ultimately end up? Ultimately, it says, and I will spend forever with him in eternal life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever eternal life he won on that day when he died and rose again he defeated death because even when our physical bodies die even if we shouldn't receive physical healing even if it doesn't come he already won where it counts 
eternal life. Eternal life. That person who passes just walks through a doorway into life and life more abundantly and life as if they've never, like, wow, you know? Like, wow kind of life. Like, it says, eye has not seen, ear has not uh, heard the wondrous things that God has prepared for those who love him in eternity. He won, and we get to live with him forever. And that is not losing. That is not a loss. Well, we, even if we don't receive what, what we think we should receive in this life. Know that he is a healer. Always believe him. He is good, and he is... Um, he has defeated death and hell and the grave, and he is our healer. Anyway, have a wonderful day. We're finished now, and I'll see you next week. Goodbye.